I'm Haley. And I'm Emma. And welcome to This Shakespeare is Gay, a podcast that goes play by play to prove that every Shakespeare play is a little bit gay. This week, Pericles. apologize in advance for uh, any sound quality issues on my end because it's quite hot so I have to have my windows open so there's just gonna be background noise also my dog's really upset because it's hot out so she's probably gonna bark at shit and also this play fucking sucks so (laughs) all these things are gonna combine for whatever experience you're about to have for the next like 40 minutes chaotic a chaotic moment but hey look at us it's been less than almost three months this time we're back yeah we're back we're on, on schedule back for on now kind of schedule. i'll tell you right now we won't be next time but you know it's fine so we'll take the wins while we can get them but yeah pericles pericles uh-huh. my mom and i had a really dumb joke because the oregon shakespeare festival did pericles several years ago and i saw it which is the only time i've seen this play i also um, saw it my mom didn't know how it was pronounced, so she called it Pericles. And then we started calling it Pericles the Musical, because for some reason we thought that was funny. Pericles the Musical. That, that, per- that Pericles was also kind of a musical. I, I think that-, that was probably why. It had a lot of songs in it. It did, yeah. I was going to say, do you have any history with this play? And my history with this play is that production, because that, if I'm not mistaken, that was the Joe Hodge production in 2015. And I worked at OSF that season, so I was there when it was being built. And um, I saw it then and it's the only time I've ever seen this play and I thought it was a really good production so it weirdly stuck in my head they did the thing that I would totally do and not just because I saw them do it but all of Gower's they made all of Gower's speeches songs so there was kind of a musical through line so it really was sort Mm -hmm. of Pericles the musical yeah yeah um they also did some really kind of unnecessary stuff with like a drag queen sex worker that for, oh, unfortunately is the, the thing that really drag queen, huh? is stuck with me. Mm. Um, but anyway, yeah, so Pericles, here we are. Uh, we're deep in the weeds of the plays we were dreading from the start. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think the difficulty with this play, like just to kind of dive right in before we do the plot summary, I guess, or to preface the plot summary, is that it's one of those ones that like, it's so episodic to say yeah. that there are characters is a bit of like a stretch from like a modern point of view. Like there's just really not a lot of kind of emotional character development. It's just kind of like at the center, we have this guy to whom a bunch of things happen and he doesn't really change that much over the course of the play in light of those things happening, except for he gets older and sadder. Um, and then we have a bunch of side characters who we don't really spend enough time with to get any sense of them as like people. Yeah, I think what's interesting is that Pericles doesn't, we actually don't spend very much time with Pericles, you know, like he's sort of, I mean, and also not very much time like uh, emotionally and like inside any kind of psychological interiority, like at all. And he sort of just fades even like even just temporal stage time. He sort of fades out of the play quite quickly. I said this to you when we were preparing yesterday, but I was like, Pericles is one of those plays that like, because it's so episodic and it has so many kind of like layers and it's such a sort of picaresque in a weird way. It's like, I, I, I always feel like I'm waiting for the play to start until the middle of act three. I know, and I was sort of struck this time, as you say, like Pericles kind of fades away and like it yeah. almost becomes a play about his daughter Marina in the yeah. second, second half, but like doesn't. And she but doesn't she doesn't really, become a character until She doesn't three. have enough of a so personality, like, yeah, to feel like we're watching a play about her. We sort of are like 
why it's like there's this whole there's I mean we'll get to this in the plot summary but there's this whole like you know she lives in a brothel and she like convinces people not to have sex with her and there's very and we are kind of introduced to the idea of her first through the narrator Gower and then through some people talking about her and there is always very much this sense with her to me of like we're like watching her through a window like she's not a person we know she's just like a figure that we are observing yeah, and I think that is sort of, in a sense, the problem where maybe if you're doing some other, maybe if you're like a genius who has figured this play out, the opportunity that like, you don't, I don't feel like you actually really know anyone, because if the play isn't inside Marina, who again, isn't even an adult until Act 3, you know, like, yeah. who is the play inside of? Because I don't think it's really inside of Pericles. Because, so it's like, yeah. the point of view is really Gower, and who the fuck is he? So I don't know. I mean, like, yeah, I mean, the, it's... it's- yeah, we really struggled with this one because it's like there's neither a sense, a strong sense of character nor a strong sense of like relationships. Right. And so, like, let's do the plot summary yeah. and then we can talk about the sort of like one little glimmer of like, at least, if not, again, queerness and maybe anti-straightness that is in this play. And then we'll talk about <laughs> what we plan to do because we refuse to surrender. Um, <laughs> so as we keep saying, Pericles is a super episodic play. Um we open with Pericles, who's a prince slash king, um, and he has come to Antioch to solve a mystery slash riddle. You know, it's just one of these plays where it's like the country's littered with like, hey, do this challenge and then you can get a wife. Um, so he comes to Antioch to do that. He has to answer a riddle um, and then he can marry this girl. But if he fails to answer the riddle, then he'll die. It turns out the answer to the riddle is she's in an incestuous relationship with her dad. Um, and so he's. I, I want to interrupt to this with commentary about that so badly, but I'll, I we'll guess get I'll to like it. Finish. Oh, we'll get to it. Um, he says that, and if they're like, well, we're gonna kill you anyway, so it's really a lose lose there. Um, he goes back home and realizes that like this king is still after him, so he sort of takes to the sea to begin traveling where he encounters the first of several shipwrecks. Um, <laughs> he, uh, yeah, gets shipwrecked. He meets a nice couple, leaves, encounters another have a contest for my daughter contest. Um, this time a little more straightforward kind of jousting tournament thing. Um, and he wins and marries Taisa, a princess. Then they take to sea. There's another shipwreck. Taisa appears to die in childbirth or actually dies in childbirth, unclear, in the midst of the storm. They chuck her body over, like overboard. Um, but then she's found by a miracle doctor who either realizes she wasn't actually dead, brings her back to life. Again, unclear. Mm-hmm. Um, Pericles ditches his newborn baby daughter, Marina, with that first nice couple he met. Um, and then it's like, I'm taking to sea again. I'm off. Bye. Um, 16, 16 years? A yeah, period I of think years. so. 15, a period of years, years later. Ass. Um Marina has grown up so beautiful that her sort of foster mother is now jealous of her and decides to have her killed, much like happened to her dad. So she, again, is running away when she gets kidnapped by pirates and taken to sea and sold into a brothel um, where she is the worst sex worker ever because she refuses (laughs) to have sex. She just talks all of the men she meets out of wanting to have sex either with her or at all. (laughs) Um, And it's just kind of having a little Christian mission there in the brothel, um, including to the kind of governor of the place she is, Lysimachus, who is coming to have a good time. And then she's like, you're better than this. And he's like, I am better than this. You're hot. Here's some money. 
Um, and she's able to kind of buy her way out of the brothel and um, kind of set herself up in town. Uh, then Pericles comes to this town. He's older now and has gone a bit mad from grief because of all the things that took place for him. Um, and because he went back to collect his daughter and was told she was dead because the queen who tried to kill her was like, I'll just lie. Um, she got away, but it's fine. Uh, for some reason, I'd rather say that I killed her than just be like, oh, she ran away. Uh, you know, priorities. Anyway, so yeah, uh, he comes to town. He's a little bit crazy from grief. Lysimachus is like, oh, there's this really good kind of singer lady who might be able to like soothe you with her music. Her name's Marina. Um, so he sends Marina to Pericles and eventually the two of them work out that they are father and daughter. Everything's <laughs> wonderful. Suddenly, Pericles has a vision from Diana that he should go to the temple of Diana, <laughs> who sent the vision. Um, and there he finds his wife. Actually, there's a good resonance with last week, another another lost wife in a convent. That temple um, is also in Ephesus in this play. Oh, yeah, that's where they are. I couldn't yeah. remember where, so I wasn't yeah. saying it. Yeah, we're back in Ephesus. Mm -hmm. Let's pretend we did that on purpose. <laughs> um, and the whole happy family is reunited. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I have so many thoughts about this. Um, I want That's to good. say them before I forget them. Well, I mean, basically, like, most of my thoughts are useless to our purposes. They're just like, you guys, let's talk about how insane Pericles is. I mean, the entire mood of, like, any single thing happens, and then he takes to see. It's just, yeah. like, the whole thing of Pericles is, like, a thing happens? What if you ran away from your problems to see? And... Frankly, I mean, that's pretty gay. What an enormous mood. Um, yeah. But no, the thing in the beginning that made me laugh so hard is like, we'll talk about the incest in Act 1 in a second. But the thing that's funny about the incest, which like, yes, it's a universe of um, like solve this riddle to win a girl. It reminded me of Merchant of Venice a lot, that continual <laughs> yeah. setup. You know what I mean? Of just sort of like the thing. Um, the thing that's funny about the setup in the first version of that, the incest version in Pericles, is that the riddle that you're supposed to solve, it's not hard. Like working Here's... out working out that incest is happening, like the riddle is basically like This hey. is my theory though. Yeah. No, sorry. No, you <laughs> go. You go. Because I think that everyone guesses and then just can't bring themselves to say, to say it. it. Right. This well, is my this is, is my theory. And this is why the first time I saw the play, I was like, oh, this is so intriguing. This is so like tricksy. And like, this is a really rich premise for like this crazy king who set up this scenario where like these princes come for his daughter and then they totally know the answer to the riddle, but they'll know they'll die either way. Because like, it's basically like, not a riddle. It's like a piece like, of where paper only that Heracles will tell yeah. the truth, but like... Yeah, it's not what the place is. No, about. it's so peculiar. But like, yeah, as I say, it's basically not a riddle. It's essentially just a piece of paper that in fairly flowery poetry says, I'm fucking my daughter. And yeah. Pericles is like, interesting. This sounds like you're fucking your daughter. And then he's like, how dare you? And like, I'm kill you. No, it's really horrible. Um, yeah, it's really horrible. So like that, very funny to me. And yeah. I mean, yeah, I guess we should just talk about Act 1, because, like, what a strange place to start a play. Yeah, I mean, do we want to... So we were sort of struggling with, like, the premise for this episode, because, yeah. like, again, this play just really lacks anything. Um, it, lacks, like, it lacks substantive, like, sort of character depictions and, like, and, like relationships but also I think part of what I was really struggling with is like I have sort of struggled with this in all of the plays that are basically centered on a family unit because they're hard to mm. make queer because like it's about the dynamics between parents and children it's, you know yeah. I mean like and that's hard to kind of bend 
to our purposes. I mean, it was like, it was hard in The Tempest. It's hard and like, you know, it's hard. Yeah, especially these sort of late comedies that are very, like, not only centered on, like, the family unit, but, like, are in these really kind of insular worlds. Like, there's only one or two well-developed characters, or in Pericles, none. Um, So it's not even like, you know, something like Romeo and Juliet, which is about family, but it's also about a wider sense of, like, a world and place. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there are, like, you know, famously friendships in Romeo and Juliet. And the thing here is that, yeah, they just sort of, like, move through the world in this this really, um, yeah, insular way. So that leads nicely into my kind of one case for the queerness of this play, um, which is that maybe there is something in that kind of lack of connection that like Pericles sort of has no one to anchor him. He begins the play looking for a wife. Mm-hmm. He doesn't find one until kind of act two, act three. Mm-hmm. But then we're sort of early on in the play shown repeatedly that like, well, really a spouse, a heterosexual spouse isn't kind of enough to anchor you either. And like these people who are married, all the marriages we see are bad. And like one of the people in them, usually the woman is like a horrible person. And the man is kind of like, oh crap. Um, Mm -hmm. And so like, I wondered if there was something in the kind of queerness of like, both that this is, this is, a world where you sort of need connection so you don't just keep taking to see, but like also the only form of connection that kind of seems to be an offer, which is marriage, is kind of repeatedly shown to be insufficient until the end of the play when like Pericles has suffered enough that he like redeems the concept of marriage and like earns it as a reward. Interesting. Yeah, as a sort of like, yeah, if, what if you look at it as like a... a a traditional family sort of martyrdom in a sense of just like yeah. Yeah, once you've once you've gone through enough trials of isolation you can like deserve to have your wife and daughter back you can have a family yeah it's very very odd but that's really the only case that I could make and so what we've decided to do and I think we should set this up before we kind of go through yeah in a more systematic way or like something that appears systematic is we've decided that you know it's pride month um <laughs> Hypothetically, (laughs) a psychotic artistic director has approached us and said, we scheduled Pericles for Pride Month and we we need to make it queer. We made a mistake. We want to see him with the times. Can you please make a version of this play that's gay for us? And we hope that in trying to imagine the gay possibilities of this play, maybe some of them, maybe we'll convince ourselves that some of them are real. (sighs) All right, this is a real sort of Jesus take the wheel episode. So here we go. Here we go. Here we go. Here we go. No, I mean, I think it's probably not impossible. Anything, anything that can, anything can be made gay. I feel like this is sort of like, this is our. The premise of this podcast is that every Shakespeare play has the seeds of gayness in it. And by God, we will find them. And by God, or we'll die trying. I mean, the thing is, because, because some of us, invented a rule a couple of episodes <laughs> ago <laughs> in order to get us through the the monstrosity of Titus Andronicus because we used the one and only this plays actually not gay card that we apparently had to play <laughs> here we are okay we only printed one we only printed one the <laughs> yeah the get out bank would only print us one yeah. um so here we are I mean I don't know Let's fucking think about it. Act by act, let's think about it. Because here's the thing. Why does this play start with 
the worst kind, arguably the worst kind of heterosexuality. It's also a very rapey play, which is also a bad kind of heterosexuality. <laughs> yeah. But um, but this play starts with incest, which is perhaps the worst kind of heterosexuality. One one might say. One might posit. And um, even though the daughter is like into it. This is the thing that's so weird about it. So like, let me go on a brief. This isn't even a tangent, but it's like a, it's a something. And I want to work it out as I... Some of the language that I pulled. So, like, it's unusual that this play has a named, consistent narrator. And this this narrator, Gower, whoever the hell you are, Gower, um, <laughs> he intersperses narration more often than I think any other kind of third-person omniscient storyteller in Shakespeare. Like, more often than the chorus in Henry V, more often than the prologues in Romeo and Juliet. Like, more often than I think anyone, there's a speech basically between every act. And I mean, that's about the same as the chorus in Henry V, but yeah. So much. And also, like, he's a person with a... So, like, I don't know. This is a director thing, maybe, but, like, like I said, this one production that we saw set it all to music, which, of course, is, like, a smart, you know, um, use of that. But Gower's perspective on the incest is interesting to me and the mm. fact that like I don't know so there is in the beginning when he's sort of setting up like the situation of it all into which Pericles arrives um some of his text uh I pulled part of it where he says with whom the father liking took and her to incest did provoke bad child worse father to entice his own to evil should be done by none but custom what they did begin was with long use account no sin yeah i mean the fact that you blame the daughter even a little is just like it's super, it's and super they blame weird. her a lot like throughout the rest like you said that the letter is basically like i'm fucking my daughter but really yeah. the letter is i'm fucking my dad like it's from her perspective Yes. And is very sort of like, oh, I just I went looking for a husband and I found my dad. Yes, it is. Yes. And it's so weird. And the thing is, like, as we journey through the play and like other kinds of bad heterosexuality haunt us throughout, because obviously, like, you know, Marina, Marina's um, the worst ever, the worst ever sex worker for business in Act Four, as we as we discussed. But like the incest yeah. gets then. I don't know. I just want to kind of like. This is jumping ahead, but also while we're on the subject, Gower brings it up again in the ending. Mm, yeah, yeah, because yeah, he kind of does a about, summary at the end where he's like, here's everybody, justice was done to everyone. Yes, and it made me think about the father-daughter kind of motif throughout the play and, like, why yeah. the narrator, like, in if you were doing a production of this, like, the perspective is actually so strong, like the incest is important in some ways. So the thing is like, so the, the text I'm specifically thinking of is in the summary speech where, where Gower basically tells us everything we've just watched. He says, in Antiochus and his daughter, you have heard of monstrous lust, the due and just reward. In Pericles, his queen and daughter seen, although assailed with fortune, fierce, keen, virtue preserved from fell destruction's blast, led on by heaven, crowned with joy at last. And so, like, that felt, it's so interesting to me that the frame, it includes textually, like, here's a horrible example of a father and daughter, the worst kind, like, and then they got what they deserve because they mutually are, like, lusty and gross and vile. And then here's Pericles and his daughter, who, even though they suffered in this, like, extreme way, 
virtue was the thing that restored their family and then they got what they deserve. So in a way it's like, it felt like oddly parable and like kind of, I don't know, like the fact yeah, that you said you like, like, it to a that, like the alternate universe is one where like Pericles found Marina in that brothel and slept with her. I think that that possibility, because obviously like the dark, strange possibility of sex between fathers and daughters is what the play starts with. And we get reminded of it at the ending. And I think you're right that like the possibility of it sort of haunts the play. Yeah. Like if they, if Marina had been less virtuous and had just been sleeping with guys and she would have still been in the brothel and like would have been, you know, sleeping with whoever came by and if Pericles was less virtuous and went to those kinds of places, like, I, yeah, it's so it's like, like their virtue makes the, they deserve their family because none of them, even through these like biblical trials, didn't kind of fall yeah. off the wagon. Yeah, and the wagon is like not doing incest. <laughs> Listen, guys, stay on the wagon. <laughs> yeah, just don't. Just don't. But like, what an interestingly like what a what a weird moral. Yeah, I mean, because that's the thing is it's like they just the two things feel so disconnected like mm-hmm. like I, I mean I realize that we've just sort of like posited like what we're meant to imagine how they could have ended up doing incest themselves but like it's sort of it just feels insane to be like well this is the bad family who did incest the bad thing you know? yeah and like this is the good family who like didn't like it's just the mm-hmm. uh, and obviously in this is like last week where we were like twins aren't queer but like Incest isn't incest. queer, but, but like the transgressive, like the play is really afraid of transgressive sexuality, and it and yes. it's about characters refusing forms of transgressive sexuality. Yeah, yeah, actually, that's a great point. I mean, and like you know, maybe there is something sort of like queer slash transgressive in Dionysia, the evil uh-huh. foster mother's kind yes. of envy of um, of mm-hmm. Marina's beauty. Yeah, well, and it reminded me of, like, every, this is my other trouble with this play, which I'll get into as we go through it, is every single thing reminded me more strongly of a different Shakespeare play. Like, every act, I was like, this reminds me of this, this reminds me of this. Yeah, Dion- that one's going to be our anchor into doing Cymbeline next time, isn't it? I know. Well, Dionysia also specifically is angry, is angry with her because she's outshining their daughter. Yeah. And that reminds me of like, I don't know, it reminds me of Oliver and Orlando and as you in a way too. It was like the thing of like, no one will, the people, she basically used a similar language. She's like, the people can't look at our daughter while Marina's standing around and like, yeah, all of this stuff. It's nasty. Yeah. But it's just like really, I mean, cause there is, like I said, like it almost becomes a play about Marina in the second act. And like, mm-hmm. we have this sort of paralleled scenes, like of someone who intends to murder Pericles like in a scene that he's not in and someone who intends to murder Marina in a scene that she's not in and then both of them get these sort of narrated like they fleed and it was a miracle and like then they were shipwrecked um and so like in that if we sort of imagine that like the second half of the play is like a repeat of the first but with Marina instead of her dad like that is the sort of analog to like oh well you pissed off the wrong powerful person kind of in a way like through no fault of your own really yeah. Um, and like that tension is the analog to the incest thing. But yes. even then it's just like, I mean, yeah, it's very Job. Like it's sort of that, like, it's not that they are virtuous people. It's not one of these plays where like 
two people are presented with the same opportunity and one person makes the right choice and one person makes the right. wrong choice. It's like these people, I don't know, they were like living their lives and just like were evil for no reason. And these people suffered a lot and that makes them good, I guess. Like there's sort of, it's just really hard to even figure out like what the moral is besides yes. like, if you happen to be a person to whom a lot of bad things happen, mm-hmm. don't get mad. Right, right. I mean, yeah, because that's what the moral, it feels like, you know, fucking Old Testament a little bit. It's the it's the idea that like suffering is like a purifier uh, or like a test of virtue. And then if you, and then if you succeed, you deserve your yeah. happiness. Right. And, but it's like, the problem is that like the situations, like the contrary situations of like, well, yeah. those ones did incest. It's like, were they suffering if they hadn't? Like, what's the, what's the parallel no, here? No, actually? It's, so, it's so weird. And so I feel like, cause the thing is the, the premise of like, let's applaud these people achieving their happy ending because they preserved their virtue is not a very interesting story to us now in, in 2023. So I feel like what is the way that you could complicate the, the message of that? Like, do you confront them with, because I do think it's a play that's really afraid of sex and in the similar way to like, as we go into like the brothel act inescapably reminded us of measure for measure. It reminded us of Troilus and Cressa. Like there are, you know, lots of sort of talk about disease and like the sort of the badness of the body and all of that. But like, I don't know, is a way that you would complicate it by like making them instead of working hard to make them seem good and pure, actually just sort of like let them seem as sort of uptight and prudy as they are like yeah but then you have the problem that like so often comes when people try to like fix a Shakespeare play or comment on a Shakespeare play which is like well then why do I give a shit about what happens to this uptight guy and his uptight daughter like yeah it's it's like when people do Merchant of Venice and just make all the Christians horrible and so then Bassanio and Portia are the most annoying people you've ever met and you're like well I still have to watch entire scenes of them so help me out here because I hate these people and then like we talked about in that episode, especially after the big trial scene, then all of act five is impossible because you're yeah. just like everybody, everybody left achieving their happy ending is a person I hate. Yeah. And like, as much as we were saying that like neither Marina nor Pericles kind of get that much stage time, they no. still get more than anyone else. Yeah. So they like, do. if you just think that Pericles is this insufferable dude, you have even <gasps> less reason to like pay attention to anything that's happening. That's the thing is I feel like Marina has more of a personality than Pericles in a way even if most of it is about sort of chastity and refusal and also like sort of, but still not really enough to like anchor or she doesn't kind of grow and change. She just is. She doesn't have enough time because they each really only get like two acts, you know? I mean, it's super interesting because, and also there's not a lot of like, um, there's sort of a shocking lack of speeches. Like Pericles has a few, but not really like, um, not like deeply introspective ones, you know, like we don't get that much time yeah. inside their brains. So like, yeah, I mean, sort of, yeah. Yeah. So this feels like a good moment to mention that this is like a play that is known to be like the text is corrupted as they say, like there's just clearly things missing. Yeah. Um, and it only, it didn't survive in Quarto. It only survives in the first folio, I believe. Mm-hmm. Sorry, I should have double checked this before I, um, it has like a weird textual history and we sort of know that um, 
the version of it that we have is yeah okay so it wasn't in the first folio it was only a quarto sorry my dog is being an asshole um and so the version that we have is a bit strange it was maybe co-written it seems to be maybe like a memorial reconstruction some people don't really believe in that theory but like right it um, is ironically a play that was so popular. In I was history. just going to ask this because the only that, like, historical fact I know about this play is that apparently audiences at the time loved it. Yeah. And like, so it was like one of those things where it's like the quartos, there were many quartos printed and they just didn't survive because mm-hmm. they were like read and used and right. fell apart um, rather than just being like, you know, carefully stored. So like it, it, um, and like, you know, I think I can see how, both depending on what was missing and kind of depending on how it was staged like you know maybe it was a big spectacle maybe you know we've got Mm -hmm. we've got got pirates like you know all these things but also I think just a really good reminder that we could never lose track of is that like tastes were different and when you kind of read other early modern plays there's a whole world of sort of weird travelogue picaresque plays like this that were very popular and that Shakespeare didn't happen to kind of write any other ones but like that was a whole subgenre that people were really into. Totally. Um, but also, like, there's scenes, like the scene between Marina and Lysimachus, where it's like, it's just really obvious that, like, Marina has to have had more to say than she has in the version that we have kept. Like, she probably yeah. did have some speeches to him. Mm. Um, but they just didn't survive in the kind of, like, version of the text that we have. That's super interesting. Let's um, let me pull a little bit of text from the brothel because I do have some. I mean, that's skipping ahead, but also who cares? Well, I mean, whatever. We're yeah, we're jumping about some of the. Uh, yeah. So there's lots of text from the brothel that sort of just ex- lays out how awful it is, how awful it can be. But the specific scene between her and um Lysimachus is she has some text to him. Here's a piece of it. She says, for me that I am, uh, that am a maid, though most ungentle fortune have placed me in this sty where since I came diseases have been sold dearer than physic. Oh, that the gods would set me free from this unhallowed place, though they did change me to the meanest bird that flies at the purer air, which is very much like her, her energy. Yeah. And <laughs> Lysimachus says, I did not think thou couldst have spoke so well, ne'er dreamed thou couldst. Had I brought hither a corrupted mind, thy speech had altered it. Hold, here's gold for thee. Persever in that clear way thou go and the gods strengthen me and so like that's sort of the tenor of their whole encounter is that he shows up at this brothel just like a regular dude showing up at a brothel and then like two seconds of marina displaying enough virtue and also enough like poise and kind of like you know well-spokenness is enough yeah. for him to be like oh my god what am i do- what am i doing like yeah which is very like yeah, I mean, it's sort of like it's sort of like what you think that um, Pericles kind of is hoping that will happen when he gives his speech about the incest. Like <laughs> it's sort of like maybe my my calling him out will like make him realize what a bad idea this is. But right, that doesn't work for him. Right, except for for Pericles, Antiochus is like fuck yourself. I'm, I'm going to kill you. Um, yeah, yeah, it's just very. Yeah, she's like Isabella, if nothing then actually bad happened to Isabella. Right, right, right. Well, that's the thing. It's like, yeah, she's like Isabella if if Isabella said that and then Angela was like, my God, you're right. You're right. Never mind. 
Like, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's honestly, so like when we, when we meet her in the brothel, so there's like, uh, let's see, la, 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 la. There's some very scary shit with the people who run the brothel who are basically like talking about how bad Marina's presence is for business. And part of that is, uh, as you said, we sort of first encounter that through other people talking about her. And there's a, there's sort of a cut to, there's a beginning of a scene where two gentlemen are walking out of the brothel and one of them is saying to the other, but to have divinity preached there, did you ever dream of such a thing? And the other guy goes, no, no, come. I am no more for body houses. Shall we go hear the Vestals sing? And the first gentleman goes, I'll do anything now that is virtuous, but I am out of the road of rutting forever. Forever. <laughs> Which I is mean, sort, it's of sort of hilarious. Like, yeah. It's basically like Pericles and Marina go on a quest to yes. like instill virtuous sex in a world that yeah. is filled with bad sex. Yes. That literally is it. That's absolutely it. And so the question is like, what do we make of that? Like, I mean, we're not on the side of like, you know, the incestuous people and like the rapists and the kidnappers, but also like, are we necessary? Like, are we on the side of these sort of like, are we given enough character to be on the side of these sort of flat, like missionary feeling questers? You know what I mean? Like there's something yeah. like, sort of religiously zealous in it or like. Yeah, um, absolutely. Well, it's just it's very Christian. I yeah, mean, not Christian. that like not that other religions are like pro incest or anything, but like, no, no. you know, the sort of the missionary zeal feels very evangelical. Yes. Um. Yeah. It's hard because it's like. It's like, which side of the play do you, like, who can you try to make queer? Like, is the yeah, world queer yeah. and they're trying to, and like, is the world queer in some way and that's part of the non-normative sexuality that they're like resisting or are they queer in some way because of the aggressive heterosexuality of the world? Yeah. Well, okay. So director Emma, which do you think? hate you um no you I said mean, you thought about this I said I'd think about it and reader oh. I'll think about it now um <laughs> I'm thinking about it now I mean okay let's think through both cases let's think through both cases out loud yeah. Yeah. in the okay. first in the first case where the world is queer and that's part of what they're resisting the obvious problem is that's super homophobic because yes. the actual characters that we see representing the world are all horrible. Sex workers and yeah, like and super murderers. sex <laughs> the sex workers, but the bad kind, and you know, yeah, incest, Killers. incest fam. <laughs> yeah. So, is that part of what I don't remember feeling one kind of way or another about the um, the drag madam in that production that we saw? Was that part of what you didn't find effective about it? Um, my recollection was that it sort of because of like the way that they dressed the character and the kind of vibe of the performance, it walked that line of like, is this drag? Is this a little bit of a transphobic joke? Like, what mm. are we? Sure. What are we being invited to laugh at about yeah. this character? Because I, I like the thing that the thing the mental image that like really stands out in my mind is that like the actor couldn't walk in high heels. Yeah, and so, so it's sort of inelegant. Like, and... along, like he was not a drag queen himself, so he right. didn't have the talent of like playing the character as a talented drag queen. It was right. like which you can do dress. obviously, but yeah, but, but yeah, gave off really man in a dress vibes, and then you're immediately like, ooh, what's the joke actually? 
For sure. And obviously, also, if you were to do that, let's look at some of the language that the people who run the brothel actually have because they're horrible. And, you know, it calls to mind like the uh, it's not even as kind of like jocular and sort of like because in measure for measure. The point is that the law is being unjust towards the sex trade in Vienna. And those people are, I think, portrayed more sympathetically than these. Yeah. I mean, you really come away feeling like Mistress Overdone just has a business. And it's a business that people patronize and want. And, like, she's just doing her best. And, like, I mean, I do think it's crucial that, like, we don't really see any of the sex workers. And that's obviously... Yeah. And that's Mm -hmm. one of the big problems in this is that the one sex worker we see is Marina, who's a slave, Basically, yeah. I mean, yeah. she is. Yeah, and she's uh, also and not doing it, I guess. Yeah, and she doesn't want to be that. You know, so it's like yes. there's a different level of like, you know, if we if we if we interviewed the sex workers in Measure for Measure, how would they feel? But you know, yes, um, yes. I just had a incredibly. This is a sidebar. I just had an incredibly visceral flashback to when I was working on Measure for Measure, and in one particularly lengthy rehearsal improvisation. Simon basically did exactly that, but he made all of us be them, including the stage management team and me. Um, That's a whole separate thing. Um, That was a silly day in rehearsal. Um, But yeah, in this play, um, in this play, they're horrible and their recourse to saving their business because Marina keeps like Salvation Army preaching to like, you know, all of the customers. Their recourse is basically like, we can't have this like mouthy virgin telling everybody to stop having sex. So actually we should rape her so that she like, you know, gets over it. And yeah. some, and that's like, that is the text essentially like um, part of it in the beginning here. So does the madam have a name or is she just kind of like, she's just bald. She's just, yeah. She's just the bod. And then the kind <laughs> of like the guy who sort of co-runs it with her is, is called Bolt. And uh, Marina is doing, doing the thing, not being uh, conducive. And the broad says, Bolt, take you the marks of her, the color of her hair, complexion, height, age, with warrant of her virginity, and cry, he that will give most shall have her first. Such a maidenhead were no cheap thing if men were as they have been. So they're, like, trying to auction off her virginity. And then at one point, I think this is, I don't remember if this is Bolt or the bod, but one of them says, mark me. I think this is the bod. It's like her advice to Marina about like how to be a sex worker. She says, you must seem to do that fearfully, which you commit willingly. Despise profit where you have most gain. To weep that you live, uh, to weep that you live as you do makes pity in your lovers. Seldom but that pity begets you a good opinion and that opinion a mere profit. And Mm. like the cynicism of that is gnarly as hell. Yeah, I mean, it's just really... It's icky. Yeah, I mean, it, from a lot of, like, just not to, like, you know, hate on this one specific example, but it's like, yeah. what does making that character a drag queen slash maybe a trans woman get you? Yeah, it's rough. It's rough because there's not a way to... There's not a way to... It wouldn't be helpful or sort of honest to, like... You can't leech the violence out of the scenario. So the question is, like, who is perpetrating violence upon whom is one of the questions of, like, how you would stage this play. And so, like, in our thing of, like, if it was queer people perpetrating violence on, like, a young Christian virgin, like, sorry, but we're not going to do that play. Yeah, so then it becomes how do you have a straight world perpetrating violence against a queer... Family. Heracles, Marina, and Thaisa. And like, yes. how's it? How, can, can you make something interesting out of this being 
like a tale of queer martyrdom, which like I'm already bored by as a premise, but sure, let's run with it. Right. But then like, if there was a way to do that, it is a, it is a tale of martyrdom that, en- that ends happily. Yeah. With the restitution of the family. It's like, you know, this is a little bit like the case we eventually made in Winner's Tale, which has more homosocial relationships in it. So we had a little bit more ground to to, to walk yeah. on. But like the case that we made there was like the sort of family polycule situation, you yeah. know, at the beginning and then ultimately at the end after the time has passed and the um, trials have been overcome, which is similar here. But how can you make this family a queer family? Yeah, I mean, you can't accept for through casting. You can't like, accept you can for through decide casting. decide to make Taisa and Pericles a gay a couple. couple. <laughs> or, like, what yeah. happens, or, or, like, or Marina. Like, if, she, you know, like, if you make I Marina. And... Yeah, yeah, like, it, yeah, I mean, yeah, in what way? Or, like, okay, so if you did it with Marina, in what way, what queerness would be most productive? for Marina, like, through casting. Well, I mean, I think that, like, the thing you do is, like, something that I think we touched on with Isabella, of, like, it becomes, this is why she won't sleep with these men, is because she's, you know, gay. And then, you know, if you have a female Lysimachus show up, and then it's also about, like, well, it's not just because they're men, it's because I'm being coerced. Um, But, like... (laughs) Yeah, I think that that's the way to do it. And, like, in a way, it Uh does kind of, like, do away with the more troubling part of why I didn't like the idea of a queer Isabella because it sort of devalues her unwillingness to sleep with Angelo by saying there's, like, has to be a reason, quote-unquote, for it besides just not wanting to. Well, and also, like, she has God as well, which is, like, a different... Yeah, well, right. I mean, and that's what I mean, is that, like, people always seem to be desperate, like... God's not enough these days. People need a reason for Isabella to not want to sleep with someone. Right. Um, where I'm sorry, my dog is being driving crazy. But uh, yeah, so uh, you know, it, it is a slight improvement because then if you mm-hmm. have the sort of final suitor is Lysimachus, who then is a woman, yeah, she, she rejects also you can kind of make it clearer that like, yes, it's about her sexuality, but fundamentally it's about she is not going to sleep with people by force. Right. Right. And then, and then what, because Pericles textually gives Lysimachus um, permission to marry Marina later when they're all kind of reunited. And then like, if that was a queer relationship, you could see it being approved by the family. Yeah. And then it sort of is, I guess, this gesture of like, after traveling through all these toxic heterosexual marriages, right. Pericles, who has been the sort of martyr blessing the homosexual marriage is sort of like both the kind of crowning like oh we found a way out of Mm -hmm. this cycle of toxicity and this horrible form of like interrelationship and romantic relationships and also is Pericles's kind of final redeeming act of like yeah you have seen and accepted your daughter you found her in every possible way and yeah yeah sort of who she really is and that's your last like now you can have your family yeah yeah 
I think that could work. I mean, I think that could be like a way. I think that could be a way in, especially like because it is so my desire in in a way to figure it out if I had to do it would be I think that would help because there's the sense, the cyclical sense, like even in the plot summary, as you were like, we go to this place, we meet another couple. We go to this place, we meet another couple. And then there's this sense of like this happens to Pericles and then again it happens to Mar to uh, Marina and then, it, you know, like. Yeah. The, se the sense of this sort of cycle thing. And then if you arrived at a place, if you arrived at uh, a way to break it by like, we will, by somehow forming a kind of relationship that's different from all of the bad ones that we've seen. Yeah. It's interesting though, because it's like Pericles and Thaisa don't have a bad, like that's the thing I was saying before is like, it's harder, it's sadder in a sense because Leontes, yeah fucks up the family in Winter's Tale himself by being a toxic man. And Pericles doesn't do anything wrong except, like, have a baby in a shipwreck. Yeah. You know? Like, run away I from mean, his problems by sea. Is keep running from his problems. Yeah. But yeah. Yeah. I mean, maybe, like, the original sin of the play is, like, discover that a guy and his daughter are sleeping together and run away instead of, like, do something about that. Yeah, actually. I mean, you know? I guess that's the difference between Pericles and Marina is that, yes. like, I mean, there's various reasons Marina can't run away from the brothel, but, like, right. she oh. doesn't try. Instead, she's like, I'm going to sort of make lemonade from these lemons and, like, turn yeah. this into an opportunity to, like, change people and improve things. Whereas and it Pericles works. is just like, yeah. shit, that guy's going to kill yeah. me. I'm out. Totally, totally, totally. Yeah, I mean, maybe that is the thing is it's like if you could do a sort of like, you know, you could end up doing sort of a fat ham thing where you're like, actually, the younger generation is here to break the cycles of violence and cowardice. <laughs> and like, maybe like you could land in a place that's like, we're better than our parents kind of th yeah. kind of thing. But like, and like, one of the ways we're better is because we're gay. <laughs> You heard it here first, Pam. One of the ways that we're better is because we're gay. Yeah. Well, I mean, honestly, play. that's the only thing that could make the sort of missionary zeal kind of behind the the sort of anti-sex conversions. Like that's that's the only thing that could make that. If the missionary zeal is we're actually trying to convince this whole town that it's better to be gay. <laughs> Yeah, unfortunately, we can get behind that. <laughs> but you know, yeah, I don't know. There is something about like the, you earn your family back by like approving yeah. of your daughter's queer relationship. <laughs> Listen, could we do it? Yes, I think we could. It's just hard because it's like, well, then what is the whole first half of the play? I mean, I guess maybe we stumbled on it just now. It's like, it's not just that these are the examples of like the worst kinds of heterosexuality and the ways it goes wrong. What if it's also sort of a weird parable about like, you shouldn't run away. Like the world yeah. is the world is gross and horrible. But what if instead of we take to the sea, you actually try to like fight the awfulness of the world? Yeah, yeah. Find a way to kind of stand your ground. Yeah, that's compelling. I don't yeah. know how well it would actually work in practice. Like I'd have to read through the play. I mean, I feel like you just have to like kind of try it. You would. But you know, there could be something in that. Um, yeah. And one of the ways you could improve the world is by making it gay. Maybe making it gay. That's, it's, you know, yeah, that's what I got. That's I think, all I got. I think that's all right. I think that if it's, 
if one of the ways, yeah, I think if, if we, if we've managed to arrive at the end of this insane kidnapped by pirates journey at a queer happy ending, I'm happy. I'm happy too. And that's gay. And that's gay. (laughs) In the sense of gay meaning happy. We feel gay about this. Happy Pride. Happy Pride. The best we got. Oh, man. Um, so now here at the end of an episode, because I think this is where we are indeed giving up and also my dogs being such a butthead, um, is when we decide live on the air which play we will do <gasps> next. I think I kind of uh-huh. gave it away. I feel like I feel like I'm feeling Cymbeline. Yeah, I think the only two things, so let's let's be real with y'all listeners so that you can also, you know, help us count down here. The only yeah. plays that we have left are Cymbeline, Timon of Athens, Henry VIII, and Twelfth Night. Obviously, yeah. we're going out on Twelfth Night because it's a straight up banger and also it's maybe the gayest play that ever gayed, yeah. except for Two Noble Kinsmen, but, you know, that was our, yeah. that was our surprise discovery of this pod. But, um, <laughs> but I'll talk about that later. But, um, I mean, I feel like it's either Cymbeline for all of the obvious sort of, you know, family, long lost daughter, you know, sort of late romance fairy tale reasons, or it's Time of Athens, which is a disappointed old man goes crazy in the woods reasons. Yeah, actually, it could also be Henry VIII for is the world just bad and is sex just bad reason. So really, there's a smorgasbord of options. There's so many choices here before us. Um, do you want to pick one or should we, we could draw randomly. I could, I could. Oh my God. Listen, this episode is short and we have time to do whatever we want. So let's draw randomly. Okay. Um, I'm going to, I'm going to like randomly allocate them numbers and then you pick. Okay. A number. Okay. One second. Hmm. While Haley's doing this, I do also just want to say, I was looking at my doc here, and I also want to say that the reunion scene where this family gets back together in Pericles is actually quite beautiful. And there's a couple of lines that I remember gave me goosebumpy chills when I saw it that time. And oh, that's nice. Yeah, okay. it's when it's when Pericles is really happy and the family's finally back together and he's so happy that he like can't handle it and he says this this no more you gods. It's beautiful. Yeah. Okay, have you randomly allocated? Yeah. Numbers? Okay. Yeah. So, I'm picking between 1, 2 and 3. Yeah. 3. Henry the 8th. Okay. <laughs> All right, so join us in a few weeks' time. It will not be the normal schedule because I'm going on vacation um, for Henry VIII, which I will tell you right now is a better play than you might think. Uh, so Exciting. I'm here. I'm, I'm going to prep my Henry VIII defense as a lover of every history play. <laughs> Fantastic. And the last one. So pour some out for the history plays as we almost finish with them. They followed us through to the end. They have. Um, in the interim, you can find us on Instagram. Yes, you can at this Shakespeare is gay. Or in theory on Twitter, I never post uh, at this Shakespeare is gay. S H A X is gay. Um, leave us a <laughs> rating, leave us a review, subscribe so that you can keep up with our somewhat irregular schedule these days. Mm-hmm. And we will see you very soon. Goodbye.